Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the interwebs and around the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is the Michael Duke Show. Good morning to you. It is uh, Monday. Don't let uh, don't let the don't let the chipper mood fool you. It is that first day of the week where we have to face it all and get ready to do it. Good morning and uh, welcome. Uh, to the program this morning. All right, today we're continuing our discussions uh, about candidates and campaigns. Candidates and campaigns uh, all throughout the remaining days, the waning days of uh, uh, of the fall here. What are we here? I'm looking at here uh, uh, one, two, three more Tuesdays until Election Day. Uh, so we're getting ready to come down to the wire here, uh, and we're, I'm sure, going to be pretty full all the way through as we uh, continue to have these discussions with potential candidates from around the state of Alaska, and uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be good to go. Um, all right, so uh, this morning we're going to be discussing things with uh, candidates for State House and State Senate. We start off here in hour one with Jay McDonald, who is the registered Republican for House District 12 in Anchorage. Uh, Jay McDonald running against the incumbent Calvin Schrege, who is a, a nonpartisan, but we know that it's a that nonpartisan is code for something else. Uh, and so we're going to have a conversation with Jay McDonald about that here. Uh, in hour one, get a chance to talk uh, to talk with him and see what uh, see what he has to say uh, about his candidacy. In hour two, we're going to be picking things up with Shelley Hughes, who we haven't talked to in quite some time here on the program. She's running for Senate District M, uh, and she has a very comfortable lead. So I'm sure she's going to be focusing on. Uh, a lot of other things. I saw that she had a whole slew of candidates that she was endorsing um, in the various districts, including Mike Shower uh, in Senate District O, which we're going to talk about here in just a hot second uh, as we go through some of the news <clears throat> that's going on around the state. And uh, so that's it. Coming up tomorrow, it's going to be Brad Keithley, Chris Story. And on Wednesday, that debate that we've all been looking for uh, the debate between Ron Gillum and uh, Justin Ruffridge, uh, they'll both be on the program uh, to talk about um, the differences where they uh, where they sit. And we'll uh, we'll get a we'll get a chance to uh, hear what they have to say. Full two hours with both of them on um, Wednesday. Then on Thursday, uh, it's going to be. Um, um, it's going to be a, uh, uh, discussion, I believe with David Nelson and, uh, from former 
District 15. I don't remember. Can't remember which district he's in now. And then Mia Costello. Um, yeah, it's uh, this is a lot. There's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff going on here as we uh, reach forward and get uh, uh, and get uh, squared away on it. All right, uh, agendas and let's see uh, topics. What what do we got to talk about here? I guess first and foremost, I did promise some good news too here. I will try and give that to you before we get too far along here. Um, I will attempt to give you some of the good news uh, this morning uh, and hopefully twice. Hopefully I'll give you some here in the first segment and then some in the last segment of the show as well. But we'll start off with uh, some sad news for uh, folks out there. Ben Stevens, former chief of staff, the governor. And, of course, son of uh, former Senator Ted Stevens uh, died on Thursday. Um, he was uh, 63 years old. Troopers wrote in an online dispatch that they received a report that a hiker who was later identified as Stevens was having a medical emergency on Thursday evening while hiking the Lost Lake Trail near Seward. Uh, life men arrived on the scene at uh, 4, 6.41, just 41 minutes 44 minutes, rather, after troopers received the initial report uh, and he had passed away on the scene. Uh, Stevens, of course, became Governor Dunleavy's chief of staff in 2019, taking over for Tuckerman Babcock. He left the post in February when he took a job for ConocoPhillips, Alaska, as a company VP of External Affairs and Transportation. He was also a former state legislator and served as Senate president. In the legislature, he was one of a handful of lawmakers who was part of the CBC uh, investigation, was never charged with a crime, uh, and had maintained his innocence. Um, And uh, just kind of a shocking thing, 63 years old, um, just uh, passed away while hiking on the trail. Um, And uh, no other words uh, uh, on anything else like that. Our thoughts go out to his family. Definitely a uh, <clears throat> a tough thing to have happen uh, when they uh, uh, when you go when they go so young. Absolutely, uh, when that happens. There's more blowback on the Shabaka thing. Uh, I know I spent plenty of time last week talking about this. My outrage at um, <clears throat> my outrage at um, um, Mitch McConnell and company in the Senate Leadership Fund for the attacks that they've been taking on and taking out against Kelly Chewbacca, uh, especially since they're using Republican donated funds to attack a endorsed Republican candidate from another state. Uh, apparently, I'm not the only one who is upset about that. Uh, the, there have been two different, uh, two different uh, uh, censures that came out. We talked about the one from District 6, uh, six last week in the Homer area, which uh, they had come out and... Uh, um, and and basically said this is not just wrong but really wrong. Well, another <clears throat> another committee has now come out. The District Nine Republicans met on Thursday and voted for the resolution, which says that Mitch McConnell's indecorous endorsement and censure of uh, excuse me indecorous endorsement of censured Senator Murkowski, who does not support the Republican platform, is a violation of Kentucky. Uh, the Kentucky GOP's own Republican integrity rules. This, again, the second Republican committee in Alaska to condemn McConnell's attacks on uh, 
the endorsed candidate from the Republican Party. Um, the District 9 Alaskans condemned the egregious, misleading, and divisive behavior of Senator Mitch McConnell and the Senate Leadership Fund, and we steadfastly support our very own District 9 resident and Senate candidate, Kelly Shibaka. Uh, the group is based in Anchorage and has asked that the Senate Leadership Fund immediately stop the, ta- the attack ads against Shibaka and discontinue support for Mikowski. Uh, of course, they... The must-read article on this uh, makes mention of uh, Alaska Republican Party Chairwoman Ann Brown's short statement that doesn't mention McConnell or the Senate Leadership Fund. It was kind of a lukewarm uh, lukewarm commentary. But this is the second time um, they vote to censure Mitch McConnell for attacking uh, Kelly Shavaka. And they are asking the Republican Party of Kentucky— to take action against McConnell for breaking their own party rules and spending millions of dollars, um, which I think is an interesting take on this because, again, if the Republican or the uh, Kentucky GOP has their own rules about this, the Republican integrity rules, um, then it very well could uh, happen on there or somebody could be talking to them. This is uh, we'll see what happens. I keep waiting for one of the lawyer letters to drop. That's what I'm waiting for. Um, because that's what Kelly had talked about a week ago when she was here on the program. And ever since then, I've been watching more and more ads continue to, uh, spew forth from, uh, spew forth from YouTube and everybody else. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a hot mess, but I'm glad it's, uh, I'm glad it's, uh, uh, at least getting some exposure from the uh, Alaskan uh, parties that are involved on this. And um, there's an interesting article that came out on Saturday. um, And it's reporting that District 29 and District 30, the Valley to Valdez, these are all districts that are covered um, by Senate District O., uh, that they are endorsing and backing um, Mike Shower for Senate District O, and they said um, that they're not uh, that they're not endorsing Massey, and in fact, they are putting out the word that Massey is a bit of a moderate mess. This is an article from uh, again Must Read Alaska putting it out. The chair of District 29 is putting out the word about candidate Doug Masty, who she describes as a moderate mess. In an email to her list of hundreds of voters in the district, D29 chair Carol Carmen, longtime Valley political influencer, said phones started ringing off the hook when, uh, for her when Massey filed for office. It was troubling. He's closely associated with a public employee union. That's a deal breaker for many, but she heard of many incidents that worried her. Carmen points to problems. Massey was first promoted in the troopers to become the director of wildlife, and he wasn't qualified. He was demoted by then-commissioner of public safety, Amanda Price, for unprofessional conduct. Massey had an exclusive contract that allowed him to retain his employment as his original rank of sergeant and was later reappointed to the position of Alaska wildlife troopers with restoration to the rank of colonel, after Commissioner Price was fired by a Dunleavy. Carmen also says Massey was later forced to retire under internal scrutiny for his alleged interference in two trooper criminal investigations and that there was uh, active litigation occurring. 
Um, she said that she provided links to a podcast for Heroes Without Capes, which is a podcast put together by former uh, Alaska State Trooper uh, Louis Neves, uh, who discussed the good guys and bad guys in the trooper workforce. They said this is very well known among troopers, and it's alluded to in the podcast uh, episode number 49 below, again, of the podcast Heroes Without Capes. The District 29 newsletter is the sixth in a series on Massey, who the district is strongly opposing, even though he's a Republican, and even though his mother is a well-respected Republican. His name is well-known in the Valley. Uh, alternately, the District 29 Republicans are really happy with current Senator Shower, and it goes on to laud and list his experience and his uh, <clears throat> additional um, qualifications for everything that's going on. And this is where Shelley Hughes steps in to endorse it. Now, surprisingly enough, uh, Doug Massey had to respond. Now, I have not been able to get him to respond to my emails, both through his website and to his candidate email that he has posted on the state's uh, candidate website. But he apparently stepped out on this one and uh, was pretty upset about it. One of the greatest dangers in politics is when we put a specific political agenda above our concerns of our neighbors. When we become too political, we begin to look at our neighbors as enemies, he said. I've been ignoring the false noise in this campaign, but after reading Must Read Alaska's October 15th article, I'm compelled to respond and set the record straight. It's concerning to me that Mike Shower's operative, Carol Carmen, feels the need to bring forth these false and slanderous accusations about my character and my career, and the must-read is irresponsible enough to print them without further verification. Carmen's statements are not only wrong, they are also egregious. I'm retired from the troopers with a long and stellar record. If there's any question about that, I'm willing to request my employer records be open for public inspection. There are not and never have been active litigations in which I interfered as a trooper. Um, again, Carmen's claims against me are unequivocally false and slanderous. And he goes on to talk about the only thing he has to say was Mike Shower was absent for 25 percent of the votes taken during his time in office. This is not an accusation. This is a verifiable factual statement. OK, um, again, with all the special sessions and everything else and the fact that they stretched out over six months, not surprising. Mike himself has talked about how that's uh, been a problem and one of the reasons why the special session should be avoided. Um, anyway, you can go out and read these articles on Must Read Alaska. I'll post them up in the chat room. You could take a look at them and see uh, see what it's all about. See what it is all about. All right, we're coming up on it here. We got to jump uh, away and uh, do the take some commercials. So we'll so we'll do that. All right, the Michael Luke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Coming up next, Jay McDonald. Jay McDonald will be joining us. Candidate uh, for State House in District 12 in uh, down in the Anchorage area. We're going to be back with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. Radio. Okay, we're in the commercial break. Sorry, my phone is dinging off the hook here. Uh, 
Um, I'm sorry. Uh, somebody was asking me questions about stuff here. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry. Um, all right. There we go. Sorry, too many squirrel, shiny object. Um, all right, Jay McDonald is in the green room. I can see him now. Let's get over there and test his audio for this morning to see where we're, uh, he's at this morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, you can hear me all right? I can hear you just fine. You sound, uh, in fact, you sound good. You sound good. You ready to uh, You ready to tackle all these things this morning? Yeah, all sure. Right. Sure, sure. Okay, I twisted your arm. It's all good. Um, Jay McDonald, uh, our guest, we're going to be jumping back into, I'm going to put you back in the green room here for just a second, Jay, as we get things, uh, squared away folks like, and share the show, like, and follow the show page. Um, and, uh, whatever you do, uh, make sure that you district 12, make sure that you, um, um, share the show and tell everybody about it. That's what this is all about. That's how we get more people involved in the conversation. That's what that's what it's all about. Let me go back up here uh, and see what uh, um, see what uh, is going on here. What you guys have been talking about? Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, starring Michael Dukes and a cast of dozens of mostly affable real Alaskans. <laughs> um, I swear, if I see one more Kelly Shibaka ad, I'm going to have blood shoot out of my eyeballs like one of those desert lizards. Who's paying for this? This is the Senate Leadership Fund. This is Mitch McConnell. This is his secret baby. This is his. This is his way of doing things. Um, yeah, I mean, this is. Uh, this is. This is the question right here. Um, he's the one that's paying for all this with donations from Republicans. The Senate Leadership Fund is uh, is uh, is is supposed to again create all this. You know, kumbaya pro-Republican Senate and everything else. But instead of supporting Shabaka, the endorsed candidate by the Alaska Republican Party, it's uh, it's supporting Lisa, who is a reliable vote for McConnell about 60% of the time. It's kind of weird. Um, see, McConnell is paying her back for the two to, two to three times she voted his way. Um, indecorous, who talks like that? People in letters, that's who talks like that. Indecorous. That's where that, uh, that's where that comes from. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's going, I'm going to be hundred percent honest. I know nothing about Chewbacca's politics, but at this point I'm going to vote for her just because I've been bombarded with her name 89 times a day with this childish mudslinging campaign. I mean, I think that's the best thing here. Somebody called up the other day and said, all these Murkowski ads that are beating up Chewbacca are ridiculous. I think that's the blowback. The blowback is, is that somebody's going to think this is Lisa Murkowski doing all this, and they're not going to be pleased. They're not going to be pleased at all. Um, okay. Uh, so if Doug is a conservative, why isn't he on your show? That's a good question. I'm, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's a good question. I've been trying to get her, him on the show for a while. 
Uh, all right. We are getting ready to come down to it. Let me see. Uh, ask each guest to subscribe to YouTube channel as a way to increase membership, says John. Well, there you go, John. We'll ask all the guests to subscribe to the YouTube. And in another month, we'll have another 12 or 15 people who are ready to subscribe. <laughs> I mean, I got 3,000, 3,500, 3,600 people on Facebook. You think I could get a thousand of them to jump onto YouTube and at least subscribe, but you know, that's, it's too hard. It's just too hard. I like where I'm at. All right. Uh, 23 seconds out. Uh, Jay McDonald is our guest. We're about to get into it. You hear that, you know what that means. It's time to get into the uh, program here. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio, like it, share, like it, share, like it, share, like and follow, do all the things, the YouTube, bring the bells, all that stuff. Here we go. All right. Are you ready? Are you ready to do our thing? Let's get into it with our guest. Candidate for House District 12 in the Anchorage area, Jay McDonald joins us this morning talking about his run for uh, the State House, and we welcome him uh, to the program. Good morning, Jay. How are you? Good morning, Michael. It's uh, 6.30, so I'm really happy about that. <laughs> You're really happy um, this so early? But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on your program. Well, I appreciate you coming on board and being part of it with us today. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, who you are, where you are, where you come from, for folks who have no idea, and what, uh, you know, what are kind of the boundaries that District 12 represents uh, in that area? Give folks an idea of, of maybe with the redistricting, they're now in your district, et cetera. Uh, let's, let's start off with that. How Where is District 12, and what does it entail? Uh, so it's... Um... It's like it's in between Abbott Loop and Dowling on um, like and also in between like Elmore and the New Seward Highway in Anchorage. So it's just around that kind of like lower hillside area. Right on the south side uh, down there. Um, and tell us a little bit about Jay McDonald. I mean, who you are, where you are, where you come from. Um, you know, give us a little bit of backstory here. As the superheroes would say, give me a little bit of your origin story. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> I'm originally from Moose Pass. Um, so I grew up in Moose Pass, Alaska. I spent about a decade in the Army. And uh, after I got out of the Army, like the whole time I was in the Army, I was in um, uh, like Italy, Afghanistan, uh, Korea. So almost the entire time I was outside of the country. And when I got back, I moved into Anchorage. And I've got three young girls. Um, we're Attempting to navigate the uh, local school system. It's been a bit rocky. <laughs> yeah, little and, tough. Uh, little tough with COVID and all that stuff. Getting things done. So you know the the thing is. So my my girls are Korean, and we're raising all of them to be ESL. We don't even start them on English until they're around five, and that worked really well with our oldest. But um, our middle child, she was supposed to start kindergarten right when they started closing schools and forcing masks on everyone. And the the people that were saying, oh, it's just this harmless thing, just do it without asking any questions with the masking. For the kids that are ESL, it makes it 
almost impossible for them to learn English properly. So we actually had to pull both of our kids out of uh, school at that point and do homeschooling. Right. They they don't develop speech skills properly in that environment because they can't see them. Um, they can't see the mouth moving of the people who are speaking English. Right. I mean that's the proud part of the. Problem. Oh yeah, and and that's like that's. You don't remember that, but who who remembers what it was like when they were four or five years old? Right. You know, but they're they're staring at the other person's face, interpreting the emotion, like the social context, the the speech patterns, and if they can't do that, then um, you're going to develop speech impediments that who knows how long they're going to stick with you. Right. You know. So yeah, like we we've been homeschooling ever since then, and that's uh, that's about where we're at right now. Now, what was the thing that made you decide to throw your hat in the ring? I mean, I like to ask candidates, when exactly did you lose your mind and decide to jump into politics? Was it a single thing? Was it a cumulative thing? Was there, you know, uh, what, you know, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak? Um, was it this whole education thing? What, what was the thing that made you decide to throw your hat in? So I've, I've been involved in local politics for a while. Um, at, at one point, back in 2018, I was actually a legislative staffer for revac just for one session. And so I know, I know the people behind the scenes. I know what they're, you know, what they're up to, what they're actually up to compared to what, with what they say and what they do Two very different things. And I know the area very well that we live in. And this is, it's a very moderate working class area. And the person that we have representing us is one of the most woke um, radical left wingers in the whole state right now. It's a terrible fit. And I don't like the things that he's been doing down there. And when he comes back to the district, he misrepresents everything that he's been doing and why he's been doing it. Um, and you know, that really bothers me. Right. So I think we just, we don't, we don't have, we don't have accurate representation right now. You have, I'm assuming you've walked the district now and started knocking on doors and meeting your constituents and doing things like that. What are the things your constituents are concerned about? I mean, you know, is it crime? Is it the is it the economy? Is it the PFD? What are the things that your constituents uh, care about and are talking to you about out on the street? Um, you know, there's always some people that are concerned about the PFD, and um, I was a little bit surprised. The funny thing is, like, donors really hate the idea of the PFD almost universally. Like on the left, they hate the PFD. The, I'm talking about just the donor class. It's, it's very different from voters. So on the left, they hate the PFD because they see that as their money. Like they want to convert it into paying benefits for right. their membership because it's primarily public unions that you're talking about. And on the right, they hate the PFD because they see that as something that um, they have this idea in their mind that like if you're paying out PFD checks while you're collecting income tax, then you're collecting my income to pay it to the next guy. And that just that concept, they, they really, it doesn't jive with them. They don't like it at all. Right. Um, so that's what you hear from donors. But the interesting thing with actual voters is um, so far, 100%, not, not many people bring it up, but 100% of the people that bring it up are really upset with uh, all the changes that have happened ever since uh, Bill Walker right. did that veto and our, our judiciary took over the program. Right. You know, so that's something that there's some things that it's kind of like um, inside baseball wonkish type of stuff, but I'm glad I'm starting to see more people talk about our judiciary right now because one of the critical failures that we have in our state government, that's making everything so toxic and difficult 
our judiciary is totally out of control. They've they've re- come to realize that there's almost no check on their power, right. so they can do anything that they want, and there's almost nothing that we can do about it. And right now, if you really think about it, the the real substantial legislation that's passing in Alaska right now, almost all of it's going through the judiciary, and it's doing. They're passing stuff without us even being aware of it most of the time. You remember when that lady was stabbed by the guy in the spinal cord at the library? At the library, right. Yeah, I remember that. Right. And and they tried to let him out of jail. The only reason why they didn't let him out of jail immediately is because people noticed. And everyone's like, oh, man, we got to close that loophole. There's no loophole. There's no loophole in any law that allows that to happen. Some judge and some prosecutor got, got together in a back room and just decided that they were going to do that. And they made that a law on the spot without talking to anybody about it. Uh, we're talking with Jay McDonald, candidate for District 12. So speaking of it, you, you mentioned the dividend specifically. Speaking of the dividend, I mean, how do you view the dividend? Is this something that we should be going back to uh, first principles on and going back to the statutory formula? Should we be, uh, you know, should we be paying it? Is this the people's money? Is Should it be used for government? What do you say? It, it needs to be it needs to be statutory. And the thing about it is, if if you got to change the pro- so the problem is, if they really need that money for something else, like if they need it for the budget or government spending or this or that, then you have to go through the process of making that statutory change because then there's hearings, there's testimony, everybody has a say in the process, and the public is involved and engaged in that process. Right. And then, and then it's voted on and people are on the record. And that's, that's the part that they really don't want the, we're talking about legislators now. They don't want to be on the record. Right. But the reason why we don't have trust in the system and all this animosity and dysfunction is accumulating is because they're, they're subverting the process. They're not following the steps. We don't have principled government right now. We've got people, it's just raw power politics. Right. So they're just arbitrarily deciding what they want today with the PFD and with other things and forcing it on everybody else without us having any input in it. And that's, that's caused a lot of mistrust in the system. So either follow the law or go through the process of changing the law. law. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, and I think that that's pretty easy to understand. And I think one of the reasons why you don't see that is because they understand how people would vote. I mean, they know what people would say, like you said, the power brokers and the donor class are like, Oh no, no, don't do that. But the people who actually are in the, you know, in the trenches, the voters are like, yes, we would like to have our PFD back. We don't need the size and scope of government that we have. Um, Which leads me to my next question is what do you think of the size and scope of government in the state of Alaska, do you see it as too big, too small, or just right, as uh, old uh, Goldilocks would say? If if we only had twice the national spending per capita, then we wouldn't have nearly as many um, uh, budget fights as we have right now. Um, people don't understand the degree to which our spending has totally been blown out, and it's on it's on the most ridiculous things. So one of one of the true horrors of growing up in Alaska is seeing all of the big brained ideas that our state government has pumped money into over the years. Like, you know, there was that slaughterhouse and like the the fish packing plant thing and Delta flying, project and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Like flying charter jets of people around to like watch basketball games and like the most ridiculous stuff. And um it's it's pretty nuts. So the the thing is it's it's totally out of control right now, and 
everybody, whenever you talk about cuts, they always, they think there's a stupid gotcha question. They're like, oh, well, where, what would you cut? What would you cut that's $500 million? Well, it doesn't work that way. You just do like, we have all these extraordinarily high paid administrators running all of our agencies. So you just go to them and you tell them like, hey, you need to make a 5% adjustment. That's the whole point of having these administrators, right. hundreds of them, thousands of them, this army, this legion of administrators, they can administrate adjustments and make our programs more reasonable. Or the thousands of jobs that are unfilled but still funded. I mean, that's the other thing. You've got positions that are in the budget being paid for with money attached to them with no human bodies on them. And then that money is just used by the departments or whatever for whatever they feel like. I mean, there's there's dozens of ways to make this work. Now, you mentioned education. And, of course, health and social services and education are our two largest budget items. Um, and so, you know, what do you, what do you say when it comes to cutting those down? I mean, you have any ideas on this? Um, uh, yeah, the, the, so the, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in education. I think if everybody like fully understood what's happening in our state, I think they'd be horrified. Um, I, I, I don't think like people don't understand that we've got school districts that we're paying over $85,000 per year per kid, and the kid can't even read. It's absolutely mind-blowing what we're doing. Like the amount of money that we're pumping into these things, and it's and that money's not going to classrooms. It's not going to the kids. Right. You know, that, that child is not getting $85,000 worth of education. Right. Um, and even even in the urban areas like Anchorage, that number is still around 18000 right now. Well, and they're no. saying what, like uh, six, only 60% of the dollars are actually getting into the classroom. So again, you're that's, talking that's about- That's a bigger number than what I've heard. I've heard around 50%. And yeah. It's, it's a big mystery number, but it's, it's, not, it's not going into the classroom. Um, we, we've got serious problems with education. And also the things, that, the things that are showing up in the classroom with the kids, there's some really- you know, people don't like to have hard conversations um, when we're talking about these issues, especially politicians. They just want to be, they just want to be the guy that smiles and kisses your baby and gives you positive all the time. Puts a chicken but, in every pot, right? Yeah, and NEA Alaska though, they're bringing some really dark stuff into our classrooms. Um, right. You know, they're pushing, they're pushing uh, the critical theory and the gender theory. Everybody thinks that that's a lower forty-eight issue that is in our classrooms. Right. You know, and they've got policy at Anchor School District that um, starting in kindergarten, they introduce these ideas to kids and they get them confused and they encourage the children to socially transition at school and they hide it from parents. Their official policy is to hide it from the parents. Have you seen that memo? I, I have. I've seen. I've seen the memo, and I've seen what you're talking about. And it's again reason number six hundred and sixteen why I homeschooled all my kids because of this kind of stuff going on day in and day out, and it is frustrating. And yet, uh, today, just today, there's an article out in the Anchorage Daily News talking about the slow strangulation of Alaska school districts facing these fiscal cliffs because we're not spending enough money on education and everything. And I want to give you, you know a why chance. that is. Go ahead. You know why that is? That's because so many parents are put, they're forced to pull their kids out of school because the issues that I mentioned, and nobody's willing to talk about these things. Nobody's willing to talk about the reason why we have thousands of parents pulling their kids out of school. They didn't just up and do it one day because it's a trend. 
Yeah. They did it in response to things that are happening in ASD that nobody wants to talk about. Well, the school board will not talk about this stuff. Well, actually, they talk about it behind closed doors because they love it, because they're pushing this stuff. But they won't talk about it openly. Like the, the Anchor Daily News, they will not talk about these things. Jim. And thousands of people are pulling their kids out of schools. That, what, $64 million budget deficit? That's not caused by budget cuts. Okay, spending on education increases over the rate of inflation every single year, going back like 20 years. Right. The reason why there's a deficit is because partly because they um, they blew out spending when they had that COVID money and, and just blew it on absolute junk, crazy stuff. But the other part of the reason is because so many parents are pulling their kid out of school because the things that are happening in our public schools yeah. right now. Uh, Jay McDonald's our guest. Uh, we're going to be back in just a moment. We've got to take a quick break. Candidate for District 12 will be returning in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Commercial break is running, and Jay McDonald continues with us as our guest. Um, you know, I, I say, Jay, that if there's been one silver lining to COVID, it is that many people's eyes have been opened up to the problems in our school system. I mean, that really gave us a uh, – it was really, again, a shocking eye-opener for many people, first of all, to discover how political – the school systems were. I think many people were kind of unaware of, of what was going on with it. And secondly, many of them discovered that it wasn't as hard as they were being told to homeschool their own kids. They were like, oh, well, this is not as hard as I was. T- this Why Why has everybody been shining this on? It's because, again, it was the little secret that it wasn't as hard as many people think. Yeah, so the side effect of graduating a bunch of kids that can't even read is that um, when you're producing levels of performance as low as we are in the Anchorage School District, it's not hard for parents to meet that bar. So anybody can do it, really. Um, I mean, heck, if your kid just spends an hour a day in Khan Academy, then they'll get the basics, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you on that, that they, all of a sudden they discovered how, you know, that it was easier in that regard. And again, homeschooling systems across the state saw a tremendous uh, push and a tremendous uh, increase in students. And I think that this is, I mean, I think this whole deficit, this whole um, schooling crisis, as the newspapers putting it and talking about it, is all due to the fact that, you know, one of the things that they're not talking about amongst, and they list this laundry list of different um, uh, school districts and things that are struggling and all this stuff, but none of them talk about the fact that the enrollment at almost all these places is continually declining. We've continued to have an increase in spending. Now they'll say, well, the base student allocation hasn't been uh, addressed uh, since 2017. It hasn't hardly gone up at all compared to the rate of inflation. But as you point out, they're not talking about all the answers ancillary spending in school, that the that the overall spend continues to grow at a huge rate, and yet the enrollment goes down and our performance is in the toilet. So, I mean, the thing, the thing about the school spending issue, no matter how you feel about it, you should be able to recognize the fact that all the problems that we're having are the result of intentional decisions that have been made. So you got to ask yourself, how come 
we're not we're not allowed to talk about any of those decisions. We can only talk about just throwing more money at it. That's the only thing we're allowed to talk about. That's kind of odd. You know, you can't. Why can't we evaluate any of the choices that have been made by the school board and and the school administration? I mean, that's just kind of a common sense thing. Like maybe we should look at what we're doing inside of these programs instead of just immediately just throw more throw more money at it. It's the only option you can talk about. It's right. kind of it's kind of ridiculous at this point. Well, no, and this is something that I've argued for years. Um, I've argued for years that, you know, the answer to every problem when it comes to education seems to be, oh, just throw more money at it. But again, Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again. And that's what we've been doing for 20 years. And our scholastic aptitude achievement has been, con- I mean, it's, it's again, 48th, 49th, 50th in math, science, reading, everything else. One in four students can't even graduate. Somebody posted in the chat room the other day that after their kid graduated, they still had to spend $10,000 for remedial courses to be able to get them to be able to go into college. And I spoke to a guy 15 years ago in Fairbanks who uh, was anonymous, but he's he was an instructor at some of these remedial courses and said something like 60% of students in the Fairbanks area had to take remedial math to be able to take 100-level college courses. That's a problem. Yeah, it's, it's over 60%. It's over 60%. The statistics on the number of kids that they have to do those remedial courses when they start at UAA, it's, it's pretty shocking. And then the... That translates to you know graduation rates at UA. Um, they're very low, and I'm I'm in UA right now. Like they don't they don't hold strict standards. You know, they're they're generous with the grading. If you show up and try, then they're going to pass you. And so you know the the failing rates that we have in these programs are um they're they're shockingly high, even when you compare it to other universities. Right. What uh, uh, what is your solution? I got less than a minute here. What's your solution on the education front? What do you propose? What would you propose as a representative? Um, well, I we really need to start. I, I'd like to do some major reforms, pushing things towards uh, school choice. And there's there's a lot that goes into it, but you know it's a big problem. So yeah, uh, would you favor a voucher system or maybe like the backpack funding model that uh, Corey DeAngelis has talked about, where the money just follows the students? So, um, so we definitely have to have money following the student. The, the you know the question is how do we do that? So my my philosophy is I think that everything has been done before, and you just got to look at you got to look at what other people did and and see what works and what doesn't. So I've been taking a close look at um, how other states have handled this issue. Yeah. Already. Arizona is in the midst of this right now, for sure. All right. Uh, We're talking with uh, we're talking with Jay McDonald. You just heard the ding. We're returning back to the radio. Please like and share, like and follow, do all the things. Let's get back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-Based, Free-Thinking Radio. We're ready to continue now. Jay McDonald is our guest, candidate for uh, uh, State House in District 12, which is in the south side, south lower hillside Anchorage area. 
and we're talking with him about uh, different things. We just finished up on our discussion about education. Uh, of course, we've got other areas of the budget as well, uh, Jay. Um, you know, you have suggested that what the what should happen is that the administration should be asking all the departments and commissioners to create a 5% cut across the board to try and make things happen. Now, that's been proposed before, and everybody looks at you like a deer in a headlight and says, we couldn't possibly cut anything more. We're, we're to our bare bones. Uh, what do you say to uh, things like that? So, I mean, the first thing, um, so the, the plan of attack on the other side for as long as I've been alive, whenever you talk about making adjustments, they go to the, they find the programs that are the most popular, cheapest things, and they, they ax those first. And what they're doing is they're, they're trying to like put the screws to voters right, and, you know, punish them. So like a good example is it was what, like $80,000 for the, Girdwood Trooper Post. Right. And everybody agreed that it was something that like logically we need that there and it's good to have that there and they do good work down there. And so they cut that first. Right. You know, that, and they, they, they've done that with many different programs. You know, they'll find something that like, what are the, what's really cheap that people love? And they cut that first. So um, the obvious answer, the first thing that we need to do is um, we need to go to the administrators that are doing those things, that, that strategy those people need to be fired immediately. Like we need people that if you're going to be an administrator, you should be working for the people of Alaska, not just trying to pump up your department's budget as much as you possibly can. We've got a, we've got a lot of bad apples and they just kind of, they just kind of cling to the system there. You see the right. same names, like man, the people over a division of elections, there's some names that you've seen over there for like, 10, 15, 20 years now. I saw an article once that um, a, a, Demi, a Democrat, I think it was Dermot Cole, posted an article with an interview from, um, what's her name, over a division of elections, the lady Fanumi at the top. Fanumi, yeah, Gail Fanumi. Yeah. And it was like a quote from her like 10 years ago and then a quote from her today talking about why our elections are so slow. And she was like going backwards on the issue. And even Dermot Cole is horrified that this woman is still running division of elections. Right. And it's like, well, you know, Dermot, I'm right there with you, buddy. Right. I also am, am terrified. Well, we've got the power of bureaucracy, right? I mean, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at the power of bureaucrats who uh, couldn't possibly find anything to uh, fix here because they're entrenched and they've got to justify their position and everything else. That's why it's incumbent on the legislature to make those decisions and make those cuts. But like you said, you've got politicians that are doing, they're penalizing the voters. Oh, you didn't vote for, you don't support the money, so we'll cut your music program and we'll cut your this program and we'll cut your, I still remember Tony Knowles, uh, you know, we, you know, he, he, it was like $150,000 to plow the road from central to Fairbanks. And one winter he just shut down all the plowing uh, because we just couldn't find the money, even though we were about to spend $600,000 paving the back parking lot of DOT. I mean, we could have pulled some of that, but no, no, we're going to shut down the highway and punish you for that kind of, st I mean, that's the kind of behavior that politicians have been doing for years. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> so obviously anybody that has been here for a while and has eyes on their head, you know, you look around, there's a lot of things in the state that we've been paying for that nobody likes, that nobody supports. Right. That are, there's things that are kind of crazy. So something that, um, you know, 
I don't even care anymore. I'm just going to say it. Like something I talk about with my friends um, in Alaska right now, the state government with Medicaid funds will, they will buy you a, a, they will pay for breast implants. They'll buy you a pair, a brand new pair of fake breasts, but only if you're a man. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not know that. I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. And that again, that's that was the result of a court ruling. Um, judges pushing this stuff on people. There's just this, you know, the weirdest things like um, we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax funds on abortion. Um, in Alaska right now, that's another court ruling. That's another thing the judiciary pushed on us. And um, even people that identify as being pro-choice don't think that it should be paid for with taxpayer funds. You know, that's something that over 70% of the population agrees is, is not something we should be doing. We shouldn't be paying for any medical procedures that are elective, period. Right. It doesn't matter whether it's putting in, you know, $10,000 of dental veneers or or an abortion or this or that. If it's an elective procedure, then the person should be paying for that out of pocket. They shouldn't be getting taxpayer funds for that. Well, of course, part of the problem now is, is with the expansion of Medicaid, um, you know, the now we have 270,000 Alaskans are on one form of medical uh, welfare or another. Uh, you got a third of Alaskans who are benefiting from this. And, of course, that, you know, once you create that constituency, it's very hard to cut it out. Um, I want to ask you quickly here about things like uh, spending cap. I know the Constitutional Convention has been mentioned. What's your take on the Constitutional Convention with the discussion of enshrining the PFD and the spending cap and reforming judiciary and everything else? Do you support the Constitutional Convention? Um, you know, I'm I'm a yes on the Constitutional Constitutional Convention vote, and um, in in my opinion, what's happening in the judiciary by itself is enough justification that we we have to do that. That's the only way to fix the problem. Um, there needs to be some sort of check and balance type system that's put into play on the judiciary to, to stop them from doing the things that they've been doing. The judicial branch is only supposed to interpret the laws that have been applied by the legislature. And they've converted themselves into a super legislature that's passing legislation and also overturning and um, disrupting the legislation that have pa been passed through the legislature itself. The, le the legislature is supposed to be the strongest branch and it's supposed to be extremely difficult to pass things for a reason. Right. You know, it, provides, it provides stability and it makes our constitutional republic function the way it's supposed to. So when we've got this judiciary that's rogue, that's just going around breaking everything behind the scenes, it causes a lot of damage that people don't know that that's happening, but they know the effects. Right. They've seen what's happened with the PFD. They've seen what happens with the um, the Medicaid funds for abortion. They've seen what happens with the man who's been stabbing people who keeps getting released from prison. They don't know that it's all a result of the, the judiciary, but they know the consequences of what these judges have been doing. They feel the consequences. They just haven't connected the dots yet. Yeah. Jay, Jay McDonald, final thoughts here. I want to give you a, a, chat to, a, ch a chance to wrap up and uh, give us your elevator pitch for why people should vote for you and how do they get a hold of you or find out more about you. Uh, yeah, well, first off, I mean, I've got a website. Um, it's got my contact infos on there. It's it's pretty simple. It's reopenalaska.com. And um yeah. So other other than that, um, 
I just I think that we just need more like common sense leadership down in Juno. Um, we need actual people down there instead of like these really odd politicos. Um, and yeah, I mean, if somebody has questions, I'd, I'd love to hear for you, from you. You know, you can just fire up the website and I got my email on there and that's okay. about it. All right. Well, Jay McDonald, thank you for coming on board and joining us. I uh, appreciate you uh, being part of it today. Uh, I'm going to ask you to hold the line for just a second here as we get ready to wrap things up. Folks, Jay McDonald, uh, candidate for District 12, reopenalaska.com is his website. If you want to find out more about him, uh, that's where you go and get all the information again running for House District 12. We appreciate him coming on the program. Coming up next, we've got Shelly Hughes. We'll continue the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, Jay, I like to give everybody a second bite here at the Apple, just so to speak, uh, you know, last two minutes. Anything that we didn't hit on that you're passionate about or any changes or just something that we didn't cover, uh, I want to hear what you have to say. Uh, so we give you the last couple, three minutes here to just uh, take the floor and and uh, make your impassioned plea for, for voting for you and, and anything else that I may have missed with you. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about, you know, like the big things with, um, I think we, we could talk about, uh, some of the bills that Calvin has been sponsoring down there. Nobody, nobody covers that stuff. The dude is sponsored like 90 bills and there's some really crazy stuff in there. Okay. Well, I, I, I got three minutes. So give me highlights of a couple ones that really stick out to you. Uh, yeah, there's two in particular. So House Bill 17, um, you remember when the women's shelter was sued? I do. So House Bill 17 would make it so that they could reopen that, they could relaunch that that lawsuit and, and shut them down for good. Um, that creates a legal category of like, a, they create a legal protected flat class for gender identity or expression, of right. which there's, there's no definition of what that means. Right. So... So you can just like I'm a woman now. Now I'm a frog. Now I'm a man. Now I'm a woman. Like you can just like there's no there's no legal definition. It's just anything that you say at any moment. And that would have given um, them legal standing to then sue the shelter, is what you're saying. Yeah, based on how that lawsuit went, that they'd be able to shut them down. And and also, I mean, beyond that, that law would open all female spaces to men, you know, sports, spas, locker rooms everything right um but then which yeah even the even like the democrat women like that are hardcore feminists that i talk to that even they don't like that stuff right um but then the other thing is uh house bill 118 okay um so that's that's the one that's uh have you heard of the ipads for inmates scheme i had not heard about that yeah so calvin he sponsored a bill that would use uh taxpayer funds to buy personal iPads for inmates in prison with internet access that they can use in their cell. And there's no distinctions on there between any of the inmates, like who's in there for what crimes or how long they're there. It's just every everybody and anyone. And there's people that are in prison, you might be shocked to hear this, that have done internet crimes, right. crimes against children on the internet. Right. And they're included in that pile of people that Calvin wants to buy an iPad. <sighs> so 
there's a there's a few that's just a handful of things that uh, that he's done uh, that uh, would set you set you apart. I, I got to be honest with you. For me, prison is about punishment. It's not about reward. It's not about giving them uh, uh, every amenity or everything else. I mean, otherwise, sure, put me in jail, three hots and a cot and an iPad, and I'm. I mean, I, you know, some people just be fat, dumb, and happy about it. So there's there's this phenomenon that. Uh... Thomas Sowell talks about it a lot. Leftist policy, they're never judged on the actual results of their policy. They're just judged on the intent. You know? So, so if you ask him about the bill, like, oh, it's gonna, you know, they're gonna they're gonna reintegrate into society and they're gonna do this and they're gonna do that. I can guarantee you that will not be the effect of that right. law. I can 100 percent guarantee you that oh, will be the effect. Oh, but their their hearts were in the right place, right? I mean, that was the thing. Their hearts are in the right place. You know, and that we've we've operated on that on that idea for a long time. Well, as long as they had good intents, you know, we don't talk about the results. But um, at a certain point, I'd like I'd like to have some accountability. I'd like to talk about results. The actual yeah. results have been horrific, guys. Like, yeah, we need to we need to stop doing that. You know, like I just I'm just I can't stop thinking about that poor woman that was stabbed in the spinal cord, oh, yeah. and paralyzed, paralyzed from and the waist is- down, and they let the guy out. They were trying to let the guy out like a week later. That was the third time they'd let that guy out. Yeah. He had done that many times. Like yep. the guy is extremely violent. He's criminally insane. And they gave him they gave him a license to kill. The yeah. judges would have been just as passionately trying to release him if he had murdered somebody. Right. No, it's, I, it's, it, it, when I saw that ruling, I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, put this guy in a – if he's criminally insane, then he needs to be locked up for a place for the criminally insane instead of on the street stabbing random people. And uh, People and, talk about – people talk about, oh, you know, we got to close the loopholes. It was loopholes. There's no loophole. Whenever a law is passed, you can go back. You can read, like, the testimony and the documents, like, all the different drafts and, and bills and variations as it went through. There's not one bill anywhere, not one statute anywhere where you can see at any point of the process that people were discussing it and crafting it, that they talked about working these features into the bill. This is 100% something that was created by prosecutors, these these lawyers, this lawyer class that we have, the prosecutors and the judges working hand in hand with a a radical left utopian vision of the world. They're very pro-criminal. Right, exactly. It's not they their don't. fault, right? It's not their fault. It's society's fault that these criminals are the way they are. We need to help them in those regards. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's insane. All right, Jay. Uh, Jay McDonald, I appreciate you coming on board. Again, uh, uh, reopenalaska.com is his website. Thanks for coming on board, and I wish you the best of luck. I hope to see you, uh, I hope to see you down in Juneau here this coming session. I appreciate you being part of it today. Yeah, thanks for having me on your on your show. And um, you know, if things don't work out, if I lose this election, and if you know, if something bad happens to you, you end up in prison, then maybe you'll still be able to run this show from your free iPad and internet access with uh, yeah. Calvin hooking you up in, in the big maybe the big house. I, yeah, that's exactly it. I appreciate that. Thank you, Jay. Well, appreciate you yeah, coming on board. You. Appreciate you coming on board and joining us today, Jay McDonald, our guest here on the Michael Duke Show. Okay, folks, we're coming up on it here. Uh, Shelly Hughes uh, uh, should be joining us in a hot second here in the chat room and uh, in a green room, rather, and we will be uh, ready to go. That was a good interview. That was a good, good interview. I had not heard of either one of those bills, but, uh, whew, man, just more proof positive that something definitely needs to change. All right, we're going to do it. Here we go. Hour two, dead ahead, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. 
put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world, on the internet, at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find the audio-only live stream. And, of course, links to all our social media sites, uh, where we simulcast the show, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And, of course, uh, in the uh, 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 also the podcast as well. And broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on regular old terrestrial radio, your favorite radio station and or translator. I see Shelly Hughes has joined us in the green room. We're about to jump in with her here in just a hot second and uh, be ready to go. Coming up on tomorrow's uh, program, Brad Keithley, Chris Story on Wednesday. It's going to be the debate between uh, uh, Jason Ruffridge, Justin Ruffridge, and uh, Ron Gillum, and uh, we're going to be talking with both of them as well. Uh, we're continuing our series of uh, candidate interviews. We are literally three weeks away from uh, three Tuesdays away from Election Day. And so if you haven't decided yet who you want to uh, support, well, this is the time to log into the program and listen up and uh, figure out what's going on. All right, let's jump into it with our next guest. Shelly Hughes uh, is uh, in the chat room or in the green room with us right now. Let's bring her on the program and say, uh, good morning, Shelly. How are you this morning? Woo, good morning. That camera brings me really a little close. I'm going to move it back. Okay, you move it back just a little bit there, Shelly Hughes, uh, our guest on the program. Um yeah. You, you all you all ready to uh to chit chat about what's going on today absolutely we are 22 days out whoop, whoop. yeah and uh, yeah lots lots happening busy busy time and haven't been on your show for a while michael miss been missing you yeah it's been been a while you've been a busy lady and we of course have been busy here on the program trying to get all this information out to everybody so i guess um we'll start off here uh just real quick i mean you're you're running for re-election, but uh, you have a pretty uh, pretty healthy lead in uh, uh, in your in your race, and so I don't know as you're necessarily as worried about what's going on in your race as what's happening uh, in the rest of the state right now. So tell me what Shelley Hughes has been focusing on here uh, in the last uh, few weeks and these next three weeks running up to election. What are you What are you going to be focusing on? Well, um, I always want to make sure I'm in good position with my own race. So I don't ever take that for granted and I work to stay accessible to people. So I'm out and about quite a bit, but I am, as far as um, fundraising and gathering votes, I'm really mo- more focused on five Senate seats and the constitutional convention. Right. So I've been working long days, not, not sleeping a lot um, from early morning, late at night. Um, trying to do what we can to make sure we get the right people in for the sake of Alaskans. Right. Yeah, that's what it's about. And it, it's been, you know, 
it, you know, this started in the summertime too. So it's not just like we're, we're stepping up here at the last minute. It's, right. Um, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, because you can get down into Juneau all by your lonesome, but if you don't have the people to help you out, you're, uh, you know, you're the, you're the one person in the storm as it races around you. You need uh, you need the help of the bulwark of all the people that, uh, you know, you can work with and trust. And so that's why it's so important to push on some of these races. What do you see as the big races that you, um, uh, what do you see as the big races that you are focusing on to, to try and help out? I mean, what are some of the pivotal races that you're seeing in the uh, Senate and in the house, uh, coming up? Um, there are five races, and I'll just say if we win all five, we will have a solid um, conservative majority. If um, we lose one of those, uh, we, we can work hard and maybe hold it together. Um, if we lose two, we're going to be in the same boat that we've been in for the last number of years, right. where we probably have a Republican majority, um, but it would be it would be a, um, with a more moderate to liberal leaning and it would be what I consider pretty dysfunctional. Right. And, and, but even with three, it could possibly be a bipartisan because um, I think there's, there's a lot of frustration on some of the moderates and I, I'm not sure exactly, you know, what their choice would be, whether they'd want to be with the other Republicans or with Democrats. If we, if we lose three, then you, we're going to have a bipartisan coalition. So those five races, Michael, uh, are um, Senator Mia Costello needs to win. Senator Roger Holland needs to win. Senator, well, <laughs> hopefully Senator-elect Ken McCarty and, um, and out here in Matsu, Mike Shower, and up in Fairbanks, Jim Matherly. So those are the five uh, that if we want to have um, a real solid um, conservative majority, real Republican majority, not a sham Republican majority, those are the five seats we need to win. Right. Because what you've been working out and working under here the last uh, four years, really, has been a very... Well, dysfunctional majority, I think, would be a, a a polite way to say it. It's been a hot freaking mess, I think, if if you want to look at it another way, uh, because you had a majority inside the majority that was being uh, basically kicked around by the business as usual crowd. And we don't need another. We do not need another uh, setup like we saw here in the last uh, couple election cycles. Well, and I, I think actually what you also saw was. Um, uh, there was a majority within the majority, but there was also the, those of us who figured out how to, within the uniform rules, get a number of stuff done in the last 72 hours that was pretty much unprecedented in, in state history. Right. Uh, so we got some major things through that had been, because of being wrapped around the axle on the PFD, had been stalled for four, five, six, seven years. And um, we did things uh, where chairs were blocking things. We had, example, we had House Finance Committee and the Senate Finance Committee that were not really interested in putting forward the sexual crime legislation. They were okay with it dying. And, um, you know, working with um, some brilliant people and staff in the last I don't know, it was maybe three days, maybe four days before we could see the handwriting on the wall and we decided to take pretty drastic steps. My office ordered the entire sexual crime bill 
into an amendment on a one-line bill. And we knew that one-line bill was, was going to come across and we planned to basically amend an entire bill into a little one sentence bill. Right. And um, that's basically what that is. It's rolling the chairs. And um, I asked my chief of staff, Buddy Witt, I said, I want you to write the best floor speech you've ever written. I want to make the case that um, we would be negligent as legislators if, if we didn't um, take action on this. And um, he worked hard on it and I wanted it in advance. I spent several hours um, digging and adding some factual stuff that I thought would be really compelling. And my goal was to stand up on the floor and make such a compelling case that even the folks that had been blocking it um, would have to vote for it. And right. um, you could hear pin, pin drop when I spoke and it passed unanimously and it went over to the house and passed unanimously. So we were doing things like that on a number of fronts. And so now um, folks that have been in the majority realize, you know, we're not just going to sit back and, and just, you know, in our chairs and say, oh, gosh, we can't get this through. We are going to figure out how to get things through. And um, be, because of that, that, I think that really changes the dy dynamics of um, how the organization might go. And depending on the makeup and who wins, um, I, I, I would say the chances of a bipartisan coalition are greater if we don't win those seats than they were two years ago. And, and, and there was discussion of it two years ago, but I think it'll be more so because we figured out um, how to overcome some of the obstacles. Right. Well, one of the discussion and talking points that I've had here over the last year or two has been, look, what we, I, you know, what if we cannot create a conservative coalition uh, or a conservative majority in the Senate uh, and in the House, we may need to reach across the aisle and not in the terms of the Republican, Democrat kind of labels, but we need to find, you know, we need to create a pro-PFD a caucus, a pro-PFD majority that say, look, I know we disagree on a lot of other things, but we all agree on one thing, and that's the PFD, and let's get that settled this year. Let's take it. Let's do it. Let's get it done. We can go back to fighting next year or next session, but let's get the PFD off the table so it's not the volleyball that keeps getting batted back and forth across the, uh, across the aisle all the time and allows more and more of this government spending to occur and all these, because I think there's a faction in the legislature that is happy that the PFD crisis continues because it allows them to, uh, you know, to use time compression as a weapon, to do a bunch of different other things. But what about that? What about creating a coalition that's, or a, or a caucus or a majority that's a pro-PFD majority, even if it's the dirty word bipartisan, even if that's what has to happen to get this off the table so we can move forward with the rest of the business of the state? Michael, um, that maybe sounds nice as a conversation point, but my experience is um, that the Democrats will not do it. They won't do it. And we've we had those conversations before. And I think the social cultural issues are at the point um, that we can't just address economics. We have to address the fiscal situation. We have to get our fiscal situation in order. But some of these other things are so pressing. And I think the Democrats um, aren't going to be interested for that reason. And it, it actually um, makes me a little bit hesitant. I think we can work on some of these economic things just, just like we did. We, we, we passed the large 
PFD that Senator Schauer carried. So we weren't in the same caucus, but we still worked on the fiscal economic things. Um, we actually uh, tried, you know, the, there, there was some effort and I, I'm, you know, there was effort by other Republicans joining for other reasons, but we worked hard and there was a group of us willing to do that and, and over, repeated conversations um, and the Democrats were not willing to go there. And you can say that we should do that and that would be a possibility, but I do not see them willing to do that. They have not been willing. Um, and, and that's the reality. That's the reality right. of what we have to work on. And so what we did is we worked, despite being in separate caucuses, we still worked on fiscal matters together and we will continue to do that. But I, and um, I heard a little bit of your, um, of your prior guest and it's hard. And, and in the past, I think your show has really very much focused on, on the fiscal side of things. And I think as a legislature, we have focused been focused on that. But I think these uh, social and cultural things are becoming um, very, very important to Alaskans, to Americans in general. When you right. look at the concerns people have going into this elections, um, this is on a national level. So we're including Chicago and L.A. and New York. 71% of Americans are concerned about the public schools. So, um, you know, what is that in Alaska when we are ranking at the bottom? Right. So I think some of these not, and, and that's not just academics. It has to do with um, are, are the parents um, getting the respect and are their rights being considered? You know, who's, who's calling the shots in the schools? So that's just one example of a number of things. And that is one reason why I'm focused on the Constitutional Convention. I see the Constitutional Convention as really, I mean, this maybe sounds a little bit extreme and over the top, but I really see it as the fight of our generation, the fight of our lifetimes in Alaska at this point in history, because it's going to set the trajectory in, for a number of years. And if we, it doesn't pass, it is going to be a rough, rough road. And, um, you know, and, and I'm sure you've been talking on your show about the the crazy imbalance as far as the outside. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> the outside influence has been insane. And we could pick this up here. Let's pick this up on the other side. Shelly Hughes is our guest, uh, state senator. And uh, we're talking about uh, her uh, reelection campaign and, of course, all the other key races as well as the constitutional convention we'll continue this discussion about the con con here in just a moment the michael duke show continues it is your home for common sense liberty-based free thinking radio we return with senator shelley hughes in just a minute if you missed the show you can listen to it on your time with dukes on demand oh and it's free like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Shelly Hughes is our guest. Uh, we're continuing now in the commercial break uh, right now. Uh, we'll change gears just a little bit. So, Shelly, uh, uh, you know, what 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 have you been doing? I mean, that's it. you've been out there pushing these races and talking about it, these five important Senate races that you're talking about. 
Um, I saw that you had a whole list of uh, candidates that you were endorsing um, in uh, uh, on must read. Uh, you just like you pow. Um, um, you you guys have put together this big list of candidates that you guys are uh, endorsing here. Uh, is that basically been what you've been doing this whole time is just kind of trying to bolster and prop up a lot of these different campaigns? Yeah, it is what I've been doing and um, working behind the scenes. I'm not I'm not on any of the campaigns of the candidates. So I am able to be a conduit <clears throat> with some of the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, groups that are working to raise money. So trying to, to find people that are willing to step up. I've also um, been out speaking with different groups that um, uh, maybe are typically more on the periphery, but would be interest are getting more interested because um, where they see we are as a society and the kind of things, like I said, uh, in, in the schools and such that people are, there's a new awareness. Uh, some people are, the, it's the fiscal situation that wakes them up. And some people, it's the cultural stuff that wakes them up. So trying to work on both fronts, but particularly, I think the culture side, because that's been somewhat dormant for a number of years. And I remember having a conversation with Rob and, you know, Rob's really great about Rob Myers understanding history. And he was talking about how we have had fiscal, um, supposedly fiscal conservatives and social conservatives. But when you really <laughs> dig down, we didn't really have fiscal conservatives. Right. And it was during the Reagan era. There was some of the social things where Republicans were going to be, you know, I'm going to be pro-life and and take on some of the social issues. Uh, but in Alaska, they never really had to do much as far as the um, the fiscal because there was just plenty of money, right? Right, right. They were spending, 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 and and oh, we're going to stand for the family, right? And that kind of went through the ninth through the nineties, and then into the two thousands. Um, they were still fighting. And as judges started knocking things down, you know, still fighting socially. And then, <clears throat> then as we've seen um, in a, a pretty extreme leftist agenda on the social side, take hold in the last 10 years or so, and just becoming um, just pr pretty amazing when you think about some of the things that they've gotten away with and pushed. Now, now we have we have situations where we have people with R's behind their name who are not fiscal conservatives and they're not really social conservatives right, either. Right. But they still are R's. Right. And so now we're we're seeing a resurrection of concern about the social piece. And we still have the fiscal problem we have to settle. So I think are we going to have a a, a new um basically segment of our population that are really what I would consider more true conservatives, both on the fiscal and the social side. And what are the numbers going to be like that? As far as the constitutional convention, we know that a spending cap, it uh, polls really, really well among Alaskans. Right, um, right. So, I mean, okay, so there's, there's an understanding that's needed. People don't want to be taxed heavily. So now, now we're starting to see um, an increase in interest on the social side that people are saying, you know, NEA, uh, you know, we love teachers, 
but we're the moms and dads and we don't want you dictating and brainwashing our kids. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. We're going to have a conversation about education here in a minute, but uh, we'll start off with the CONCON because, again, I think that is the big scare. And, of course, we saw a lot of money come out of that $500,000 out of the NEA uh, against the CONCON because there's some there's some terror on the other side. And we can talk about that here uh, right now. We're about ready to jump back into it. Shelly Hughes is our guest candidate uh for state senate and of course as the incumbent but also talking about the constitutional convention and other things please like and share this show like and follow the show page and do all the youtube stuff as well we would love to hear what you guys have to say feel free to do all that let's get back into it the michael duke show common sense radio All right, uh, we're continuing now. Shelly Hughes is our guest, candidate for state uh, senate, uh, running for re-election, but also uh, focusing on a bunch of different other things. We were just talking about the CONCON, and uh, I find it uh, just ironic, uh, uh, Shelly, that the Defend Our Constitution crowd, which is the anti-CONCON group, has been putting out all these ads with just these fear-mongering tactics of... Uh, you know, if we open up the Constitution, we're opening it up to the to the foibles of dark money. They'll pour millions of dollars of dark money into the state and they'll take away your gun rights and they'll take away your this and they'll take away your that. And they'll do all these things. Of course, the irony of this whole thing is their entire campaign is funded by dark money. The 1630 Project, the NEA, the IBEW, uh, m- millions of dollars at this point being funded in there. And so they're all crying and we- weeping and wailing about the dark money impacts on a constitutional convention, all while being funded by dark money. This is the same hypocrisy, of course, we saw in the uh, ballot measure two and everything else. Uh, and they're trying to stir up this fear in Alaskans about the Constitutional Convention, but I think it is the only – there's no political will to fix anything otherwise. It's going to have to go back to the hands of the people, don't you think? I do. And as I said during the break, it's it's a pivotal moment in history for Alaska and is going to determine so much ahead. And if it doesn't pass, it pass we're going to have a really rough time on numerous fronts from the economic to the social. So um, I – I'm encouraged. It's a David versus Goliath battle for sure. Uh, I'm not sure what the money is on the David side, but a week or so ago it was less than forty thousand right. dollars, and over two and a half million on the other side. So, right. and that two and a half million has the potential to get to seven or eight million if they need it, right. um, because that was the kind of money that came in for the ranked choice voting right. Um, right. ballot measure. So they they have they can turn that spigot back on at any point in time. Um, the encouraging thing, well, I, I want to say two things real quick before I forget, because I want to drive these home a couple times. Um, tomorrow night, I'm going to be on a panel at the University of Alaska with Senator Schauer, and uh, Dr. Forrest Neighbor is going to be the moderator. It's going to be on the Constitutional uh, Convention and, and encourage people to show up at the Wilden Marston Theater. It's at seven o'clock. So, um, just want to get that get out there. And then um, 
we're, I'm working on a, another presentation a little bit later in the month, also in Anchorage. So there are going to be opportunities to educate the voters. It's all grassroots, Michael. There's yeah. not the millions of dollars. Well, so the other grassroots thing, I just want to get out there because I want to repeat it, is I started a, a four-week countdown, so 28-day countdown on my senator page. Right. So it started last Tuesday. And each day I'm doing a very, a, you know, a point that you're not hearing about it. It's basically a count. A lot of it's countering the other side, but it's also to alleviate people's fears and really explain how it works and to let them know um, that they're being played by the other side. And case in point, when they say, oh, my gosh, it's going to be chaos. Right. You know, dangerous. You know, open up the entire the entire Constitution. Guess what? everybody, the entire constitution has been open to the legislature for 120 days for 63 years. That's roughly about 7,500 days. What we're talking about for a constitutional convention is opening it up in the same way, same safeguards, proposals, voters make the final upper, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down only for 75 days. So here we have 7,500 days on one side by politicians that can do anything they want to it. And then on the other side, we're saying 75 days to citizen delegates who don't have the same conflict of interest. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I think that people, when we say, oh, we're opening it up, they don't realize, yeah, it's been opened up to the legislature for for a long long time for a lot a lot well, a lot of days a lot of proposals have come forward too i have on this program i have dissected the uh, uh you know you go to the to the anti con con page and you look at the players you look at the people who are there you look at who are supporting it you look at who the the committee members are and everything else and it is a who's who of business as usual government first people Regardless of what the label is, whether Republican or liberal or Democrat or conservative or whatever, you look at the people and you realize that this is a who's who of business as usual in the state. Government first, people second. That's that's the, who this crew is. And the fact that they're uh, being funded by all these outside special interests. I mean, that if I knew nothing else about this question, that would be enough for me to sell me on it. And the whole David versus Goliath thing, the people in the state of Alaska are not stupid. We remember the vote in 1999 when the uh, the PFD raiders were outspending the uh, outstanding the, P- the PFD protectors by 10 to 1, 12 to 1, 15 to 1. And that was still an 83% vote of Alaskans who said not only no, but hell no. We're not stupid. We could figure it out. And I think these scare tactics are not going to work. I think that this is going to pass. I think it's a fight. I don't think we're going to give up until the last day. But I think I think people are going to see that this is just more scare tactics uh, to try and keep business as usual going in the state, which business as usual in this state right now is government first, people second. So I agree with you. As it's, um, If you look at who's on the other side, it's people who want to preserve uh, their wealth and power, okay? That the status quo is working for them and they're trying to protect their wealth and power. That's what this is about for the most part. And then the other group that is getting behind it, <clears throat> excuse me, are the folks that have an extreme leftist social agenda. 
Right. And so that needs to wake up another group of people because it's not just about the purse. It's also about, um, you know, uh, family values and things that that make who we are in our state uh, healthy and functional. Um, so people need to understand the extreme leftist agenda wants to destroy the family unit. It wants to um, make us all into numbers as far as whether it's our, our gender or divide us up according to race. It's just, it is, it's a, a neo-Marxist type of agenda that's coming from the left and people need to wake up. So yes, we need yeah. to get a fiscal house in order. Well, this, and and, they don't... and the, as far as the fiscal house, um, Michael, um, one of the things people don't understand and why the framers put the Constitutional Convention provision, why they included it is because they knew they knew that the legislature would struggle with any amendments that restricted their own power. Right. Think about the two things that have um, that we haven't been able to get through. We've been trying to get through for seven years that would restrict the legislative power. Two things. Um, the uh, PFD, something resolved the PFD permanently so it couldn't continue to be a cookie jar for spending. And secondly, a spending cap. Both of those constitutional amendments restrict power. No wonder the legislature doesn't want to pass them. And that the framers knew that. And the, those are exactly the, the kind of things that the people need to step up. Citizen delegates aren't going to have a problem passing a spending cap. They're not going to have a problem passing something that's going to resolve the PFD because it's not restricting the citizens delegates powers. It's putting parameters on the legislature. Right. And, and that's, that, that's, a, it, the framers were very wise to include the constitutional convention option. Right. One of the states, one of the states with the oldest constitution, I think it's New Hampshire has had dozens of constitutional conventions over the years. Uh, and they're not, they haven't imploded. I mean, the sky hasn't fallen, so it can happen and it can work. Uh, I want to talk about education here. We're already seeing now, I mean, today in the uh, Anchorage Daily News, again, there's another article, the slow strangulation Alaska school districts face fiscal cliffs with high inflation and flat funding. You legislate Legislators haven't been funding education to the levels that they need and blah, 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 blah. I mean, you could see it. This is becoming the talking point for many candidates is the fact that we have flat funded education and, and we just need more money for education. Um, what, what say you as a legislator? Because, I mean, yes, the BSA has only slightly adjusted since 2017, up four or five percent uh, uh, compared to inflation at 17 percent. But that's not the only education spending that we have. I mean, there's tons of spending that goes into education every year outside of the BSA. But they act like we've been starving education for the last uh, eight, nine, ten years. What, what, what say you uh, on these talking points that we're seeing in all these campaigns about broken school funding? Okay, Michael, I'm going to pull a fast one on you, and I will talk about education funding, but I have a couple more points about the Constitutional Convention that I think are critical for people to understand, because sure. first of all, people need to go to my senator page and follow those points and share them, okay. because it's a no-cost way. But this, the thing I want to mention, because you mentioned New Hampshire, everyone needs to know that since our nation's founding, there have been over 230 state constitutional conventions held across the United States. And guess what? The sky did not fall in a single one. <laughs> right. Now you're hearing, you're hearing Kathy Giesel say, oh, this is 
the uh, emotions are high. This is a polarized time. This is not a good time to do this kind of thing. Let, let's let history be our lesson. Between 1968 and 1986, so that was an 18 year period, there were 19, 19 state constitutional conventions held during that 18 year period and sane, reasonable things resulted. It was not chaos. It was, it was peaceful and successful. What was happening between 1968 and 1986? Vietnam War, civil rights movement, assassination of Martin Luther King, the women's lib movement, two oil crises, the Iran hostage situation, um, Watergate. Right. I mean, it was, it was a tumultuous time. Right. And yet, 19 conventions were held peacefully and successfully. So I do not buy the argument that uh, Alaskans could not function well. Uh, Alaskans can function just as well as the states did on those other times. That was an extremely, that was the, the free love hippie movement. I mean, that was a crazy time. And yet these successful conventions took place. So um, people need to realize that, that they are designed with safeguards and it is um, something that needs to happen and we need to get the word out. And I want to give also one piece of encouragement. So um, I saw a sponsored ad from the no side on my feed and it had 55 what I thought were likes. Right. I clicked on it just to see what the breakdown, only five, I think there were four likes and one love. All the rest were angry faces. So I decided I'd read the comments. I read the comments, every comment was, I'm going to be a yes. So why, why is the opposition running scared? Why are they using scare tactics? Because they know it's common sense that it's time to have one. When you have gridlock, when you have legislators who will not vote for something that restricts their own power, when you have things going off the rail socially, culturally, it is time for the people to have a constitutional convention. So I just want to get that point in. And now I'm happy to talk about education. Well, good. Um, I'm actually going to hold you over because we're up against the break again. So I'm going to hold you over to the next segment. We'll finish this up with Shelly Hughes. Our guest, The Michael Duke Show, continues. We're going to continue with her here in just a hot second. We will be back with more The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Shelly Hughes is our guest uh, here on the program. Let me bring her back out from the mute. And uh, yeah, you know, I, here's what I find ironic. They're using scare tactics just as they did in the ballot measure number two things. That was all about because remember, I you know, I work in radio. And so I saw a lot of the things behind the scenes. And I can tell you right now that 90 to 95 percent of the ads that you saw for ballot measure number two, there was one ad that actually talked about the rank choice component of ballot measure number two. And there was a handful of ads that every one of them talked about dark money. I mean, it was just, you know, dark, the echo and everything else. It was always about the danger of dark money. And yet here we sit. 
with dark money pouring into the state in the anti-constitutional convention side uh, and them saying, oh, and then, of course, their message is don't open the Constitution because the dark money will corrupt us all and 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 it'll be dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria kind of thing. Um, it's it's the irony uh, of this whole situation. And I think Alaskans are starting to see through it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was dark money paid for mal- ballot measure, too. That was to get rid of dark money. I mean, yeah, like you just stated, I, I almost think that um, some of their extreme ads are are actually hurting them because when they say we could lose our hunting rights, our gun rights, our fishing rights, our access to public lands, um, we could end up, you know, with high taxes. I mean, it, people are like, Alaskans would never do that. I mean, those are things yeah. really important to us. We're, we're not going to pass constitutional amendments. And part of it is people, I think what people think is you're gonna, you could have a bunch of radical extremists as delegates and they would have the power themselves to change the constitutional. Well, guess what? The very same voters that vote the, for legislators are the very same voters that vote for the delegates. So they're going to reflect. They're going to reflect the values of Alaskans. So they're going to be similar in uh, as far as um, political leanings to legislators, but they're going to be a lot more practical. And as we said before, uh, much more willing to restrict legislative power. So right. uh, I, 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 and, and you have the safeguard of things have, it, it doesn't, it's not decided at the convention. Right. The, the measures go before the, the voters. Some will be approved and some won't. And, you know, history shows us in all these other states that is, it is not, not Pandora's box. Right has not opened in a single state. There has not been a bunch of worms that have come out of a can right. in all these states. You know, <laughs> if one worm wiggles out, the the voters uh, don't approve it. So the fears are to the point of being, uh, the way they're trying to stir things up is so ridiculous. I, I think that it has backfired on them to some degree. Um, we got a couple minutes here and I don't like to repeat myself. So let me get a quick, let me get a quick hot take from you on the whole thing with the Senate Leadership Fund. You've been watching this, and again, speaking of dark money from outside and all this trying to influence Alaska elections, what are your thoughts on on the, the attacks that we're seeing right now in the Senate race um, for, you know, with, with, the, with this, here's what burns me up, the Republican money being used from Republican donors to attack a Republican-endorsed candidate uh, and, and attack them in favor of the candidate that's been censured. What are your thoughts on everything that's going on there? Well, one of the things I'm, I'm happy to see finally is that the, the chair made a statement about it. Also, what you're seeing now is you have districts across the state who are calling on the Kentucky GOP to censor Mitch McConnell for meddling in a race and um, spending millions of dollars against the GOP endorsed candidate in right. Alaska. Yep. So um, I'm hoping that there will be pressure in, in Kentucky, I'd Mitch McConnell to pull the money out. Um, I don't know if that will happen because we're, we're down to the, the three-week mark. But I, I also, I, I'm hearing for a lot of people, it's when you think about um, what they're accusing Kelly of, it's like, you know, people get paid to move all the time. And, and you know, the uh, it, it, I don't know, it, it seems kind of petty. Yeah. And um, not that big of a deal. If that's the most they can come up with, it's like, okay. And it's also, it, 
it screams desperation, right? Scream desperation on Murkowski's part. So my, they apparently have polling that Lisa's in real trouble. And that's one of the reasons why I think waking up the people that are concerned about the cultural social things in this country, um, that could put us over the top. Lots of times, you know, it's non-presidential election year, right? So the turnout typically isn't as high but I think that people who have concerns about, whoa, this, you know, things are really going in the wrong direction here. Right. If some of those folks that normally wouldn't uh, show up and vote in a non-resident a, a presidential year, if we can get those people out to vote, I think we up and down the ballot, we will do really well. Well, I think it's interesting to see that I actually had a couple of people call in or email me about, well, these ads that Lisa are putting out, I think it's going to backfire because a lot of people think this is Lisa Murkowski. They don't know it's the Senate Leadership Fund. They don't know the nuances of it. And I think that's going to backfire on her as well. But we're coming up into it here. We got to jump back into the radio. Folks, like and share, like and share, like and follow. Let's get back into it. Here we go. All right, welcome back. One final segment of the show this morning. Shelly Hughes is with us, Senator, uh, running for re-election, but uh, really focusing on a lot of things. We just finished up with the ConCon, but I did want to get into this education thing because I'm seeing this now as becoming the issue for many candidates. Uh, and the, and the uh, newspaper, of course, is is running with it all over the place. You've seen all the candidates talk about, uh, you know, how we just we've ignored the funding for students and schools and we hate children because we haven't increased the BS and all this other kind of stuff. And the funding is behind because of it. Of course, none of this taking into account all the ancillary spending that we've seen on education over the years. The base student allocation has increased by just under 5% since 2017. Inflation is higher, no doubt about it, but this doesn't count any of the other monies that were spent. Shelley, this has become the issue. What do you say uh, as you look at this and you look at how this shapes out? What are your thoughts on it? And actually... This, uh, if, if you look at it, this is actually planned by the NEA to focus on the funding. So that's, that is um, their strategy right now for the 2022 election is move the conversation about public schools to funding. Why? Because they're in trouble on some of the other fronts as far as some of the stuff they're trying to slip into the curriculum and the policies they're trying to slip into the schools. And as I said early in the program, nationally, including very liberal, large cities, 71% of Americans are very concerned about what's happening in the public schools. Are right. they concerned about funding? No, those 71% are not concerned about funding. They are concerned about um, what they're weaving into the curriculum and the school policies. So NEA has a big push to get the conversation back to funding right and classroom size so people right. need to be aware of that that's and and anchorage daily news who's ever running those ads they are playing in to the NEA's um, strategy to try to change the conversation. Well, and the disingenuousness, that's what gets me about this, the disingenuousness of, oh, we haven't increased school funding in years. And many people who don't understand it will go, oh, really? That's not right. We should we should do not understanding that the base student allocation is 
just the base. Everything is then added on top of that. Um, and like you said, I think you're right. I think this is a uh, uh, this is a deceptive uh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain issue, considering things like scholastic achievement, graduation rates, you know, critical race and the gender policies and all the other school board things that are going on. The fact that we can't get freaking bus drivers in this state. I mean, these are all things that are going on right now to see how bad. The, and of course, the response to COVID, how some schools didn't open up and didn't want to open up and everything else, people are frustrated and they feel like they're not being heard when it comes to their children's education. I think this too may backfire. Yeah, I, I, I think they are peeved. And I, you know, in Alaska, as far as funding, I want to tie accountability to funding. And we spent a um, number of years focusing on the K through third proficient reading by the end of third grade. And that's great. Needed. Yeah. Should have done it right away. Again, being wrapped around the axle on the PFD, we seven cohorts of children lost out because of being wrapped around on the PFD issue. So thankful that finally passed. But now we've got to look at grades four through 12 and what's happening. And it's not a pretty picture. And somehow we have to bring accountability. And, um, you know, my idea, your idea of how to do that. Oh, is Eddie going to like that? You know? Absolutely. I, I, I wouldn't mind giving a bonus for to a teacher that could show great academic improvement in their class. But oh, 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 NEA would. would right. Never Can't, like, do you know, Can't do that. Can't do that. Yeah. Performance. No, no, no. Um, so, yeah. The, but it's a total distraction right now from what people are most concerned about. And when you're when the school day and the school boards and the administration is dealing with all these other policy things, the gender, the, the race issue. By the way, there's a wonderful article on the Lincoln Institute that basically talks about how critical race theory is in, in completely counter and opposite what Martin Luther King taught. Martin Luther King had it right. We are one human race. Um, we don't judge people by our skin color we judge them by the character of their uh, their character and their heart mm -hmm. and that is the way it should be so what you have fundamentally he believed we were all created equal right just like the foundation of our country right what you have if you really pull things apart and look at what is being taught right now and by the way it's they're not calling it crt critical race theory it's now dei diversity equity inclusion they originally had it as diversity, inclusion, equity, but the acronym was D-I-E, die. So they had to switch the <laughs> equity and inclusion. Um, but that's what they're calling. But it's the same thing. And the difference is fundamentally, uh, the, the CRT, DEI, do not believe that we are all created equal. But there, inherently, there's a difference at birth based on skin tone. And so what you have to do is you have to suppress the power of some depending on their skin tone and you have to reclaim power uh, for those with other skin tones. And that, so it's a, it's basically opposite to a core principle of, of the foundation of our country that we right. are all created equal. This is one human race. So be aware of that because that's what it's all about. And um, I'm getting tired, tired of the left talking point it's 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 a couple of years old now. It's kind of funny when you hear it because they're just using it. And they say, oh, CRT is not in our schools. It's only in graduate schools at the university level. 
<laughs> they're not teaching it in our schools. And I said, so I'm not saying that you, in ninth grade, you go to a class called CRT or DEI. I'm talking about a philosophy that is being woven in. And I have plenty of documentation, plenty of documentation that's current from NEA, what they are pushing. We have documentation of things got scrubbed off the Anchorage School Board's website. In the Matsu area, it, you're not going to see it on their website because it's being pushed right now through a nonprofit, Rock Matsu, who is offering workshops and trainings for teachers and those who work with children and youth. And teachers are taking those courses. So it's, it's not an actual class that kids are gonna be taught in high school, but it is a philosophy that teachers are picking up on. So we have to be aware and we have to say, no, we have to, you know, I, I think that's, you know, I'm on the front lines of some of this stuff and getting getting a lot of attack, attacks before because I'm taking a stand to protect our girls and women as right, well. By right. males, no place in a bathroom. And I tell you, my heart is for, for children who are confused and they need to get the assistance and mental health assistance they need. I don't like the fact that their suicide rates are high, but you're not going to solve one problem by creating a problem for our girls. Uh, on the other hand, girls' suicide rates and are going to go up if we do this. In fact, they, you know their rate of de depression, suicide in high school is nothing to um, ignore. It's significant. So you don't solve one problem by creating another problem elsewhere. Case in point, my opponent basically made a post that um, bio males should be allowed in girls' bathrooms. And by the way, if the girl feels uncomfortable, it's her job to go find another restroom. So, I mean, things are just topsy-turvy in the world we are in today. Right. And, and our, the education system is trying to... Um, to usher these things in, which will fundamentally change our culture. So if we don't say no, if we don't take back our schools, Alaska, America is not going to be the same. And so we have to, it's, it's very, it's kind of at, at our door right now. And I am glad that 71% of the parents are not happy with our public schools. Well, again, so. this is reason 271 why I decided to homeschool my children early on uh, uh, because of that. And I think you're seeing more and more of that. I mean, of course, you saw it because of COVID and everything else. And now the question becomes, shouldn't we just basically institute more school choice? Shouldn't we just have vouchers or backpack funding or something like that, this would solve a lot of those problems because people are tired of fighting. They're tired of being ignored by school districts, by administrators, by school boards. And now is the time to just be able to take take that money and to put it into your children in the way that you deem necessary. Shouldn't we be looking at school choice and backpack funding? Absolutely. And that's another reason for the Constitutional Convention. The Supreme Court has ruled that public dollars can follow the child. And um, so we need to fix that in our constitution. And for those, and I have a lot of friends that have devoted their lives as public school teachers and they're very good school teachers. And um, because of our villages and small communities, you're probably not gonna have private schools everywhere. And some parents just don't have the capacity because of their other obligations to homeschool. So we, ha we have to do, we have to, redeem our public schools. I really do believe that's necessary. We can't just say, okay, we're going to, you know, we conservatives are going to homeschool and private school our kids and leave, leave the mess in the public schools. We have, we have to take the reins and make sure it's using public dollars. We need to make sure those public, public schools are doing the right thing. 
And for those who think the public schools are going to be decimated if we have school choice, you were wrong. Look at Florida. So right. I was really, I was really really sad when my um, daughter and son-in-law moved to Florida because of work and life and such. Um, although it's a nice place to visit, <laughs> but but um, what they have there is is they the money follows the child. Guess what? Their public schools are doing really really well. They have to put the grade how the schools grade out on front, post it for the community and the family to see. You think if a school's got a D minus or a C plus, parents are going to keep their kids there? Yeah. No. No, the schools, the schools are doing phenomenally well, and their scores are, you know, just way up at the top. So does does school choice mean the public schools are going to be destroyed? No, it means they're going to step up to the plate and do the right thing. State Senator Shelley Hughes, as always, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, we'll keep fighting this fight. Thank you for coming on board and sharing with us. Go out to her page and listen to her daily points on the Constitutional Convention and more. Thank you, Shelley, for coming on board. We appreciate it. Yeah, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, uh, UAA at the theater. Come listen to a panel discuss why the Constitution is time for a Constitutional Convention. All right. Thanks, folks. Love one another. Live well. Be kind. We will see you tomorrow. All right, Shelley, uh, any final thoughts here for the crowd before we let you go? What uh, what say you? Well, I, I would encourage folks to, um, you know, I, we hear about how important it is to have bold leaders. People um, are elected officials. We need to take them, be strong, take a stand, not be milk toast. And I would say that it's time um, for bold citizens and bold community leaders, bold pastors, because um, we have, uh, for instance, with the culture things, we have said, oh, no, no, faith and politics, we can't talk about those things. Well, you know what? We better talk about them because we're going downhill if we don't talk about them. And so people need to be bold enough to have those conversations uh, with their friends and family, even if it might be uncomfortable, even if initially they might think there will be disagreement. I, when you see um, the, the gender issue is a huge one. There, it's probably pretty small. If I put a hundred parents of daughters into a room and put blindfolds over their eyes so they couldn't see how what the others would say, I said, "How many of you with daughters?" And let's say they reflect the makeup. Let's let's say it's half half Democrats and half Republicans, just fun. And you'd ask them, um, raise your hand if you're okay with uh, biological male in the locker room and taking showers with your daughter. Raise your hand if you're okay with that. How many people of the blindfolded 100 parents of daughters are going to raise their hand? Maybe five or six that are extremists. I, I really don't think that um, that many people really want that policy. But it is, you know, the, the um, extreme leftists that are pushing the social agenda right now are, um, they're the ones that are allowed on this. And um, so some of these conversations that, that we think, oh, my neighbor's a Democrat, they're not going to agree with it. It's time to have those conversations. Some people are, uh, they, have, they are a certain party affiliation because mom and dad were, grandma and grandpa were, great grandma and great grandpa were. But it's time for people to really think about, you know, our, back in the, I, I mean, JFK would have been a conservative, you know, 
now. So Today, it's right? a different yeah. world we live in. I think we need to have those conversations and people need to be bold. They, you know, I, I, I'm not talking about people going out and getting in loud arguments with people. I'm talking about people having rational, logical discussions about what is happening in our state and our country and to really get people to realize this election is important and um, don't just look at the letter after name and based on your, you know, your background and your family, think about what kind of life you want, what, what kind of world, what kind of country, what kind of state do you want to raise your child in? Yeah. So All right. that's what that's i'm and i'm glad you said it i'm glad you said it i think this is the important stuff these are the parts that need to be said out loud you know we got to quit mamby pambying around and be bold about this stuff be kind but be bold we got to be able to uh, have a rational reasonable conversation it seems like we've got the fringes on both sides just trying to shout each other down that's not going to work that's not going to help we need to work on this together Shelly Hughes, uh, our guest for today. Shelly, thank you so much for coming on board. As always, it's great to talk with you, and uh, we look forward to seeing what happens come uh, three weeks from today. Uh, 22 days. All right. Thank you, Shelly. Appreciate you coming on board and joining us today. Um, thank you. All right, folks. We are out of time for today. We got uh, more coming up tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show will continue. We look forward to uh, seeing what you guys have to say then Brad Keithley, Chris Story, and then, of course, that big candidate interview and debate between Gillum and Ruffridge on Wednesday. That'll be an interesting race for sure. All right, friends, thank you so much for coming on board. We will see you tomorrow, 6 a.m. Be here. Don't go anywhere. Thanks a lot. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show